0: Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixer where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses. I, I don't know how today's guest is still standing, Chad, to be honest with you. <laughs> Chad Newell is running a company that the pivots that you took to me are the, the in, interesting things. Because, Chad, you had a business where you you found a way to get photographers online. Actually, even going back before that, you had a business which was doing photo, which was, well, you know what? Let me do this. Instead of me telling it, I'm going to say this to the audience. This is a guy who found the model several times and still had to pivot and pivot and change and start over. And he kept on going. And as a result, today he's got a business that's doing incredibly well. I invited him here to talk about how he did it, why he pivoted, what happened during those pivots. And we're going to talk about some of the challenges of it. And I, I got to tell you, Chad, frankly, as an entrepreneur who's who's gotten things to work at times. It's freaking exhausting to say it worked. And now I've got to move to this other thing and then bring the same <laughs> level of energy to the new thing. I want to hear how yeah. you did it.
1: All right. Well, yeah, it's either tenacity or insanity. I think it's probably a little bit of both. You know what?
0: It's also agility. It's I, yeah. I have tenacity. What I think I also sometimes have to do is just let go of the bone and decide whether it's the bone that I want to eat or the, <laughs> the thing that's on the side. Yeah. Um, and you've been very good about doing that. All right, I should introduce. Chad Newell is the founder of Snapwire. It's a marketplace that connects talented visual creators with businesses and brands that need on-brand content, custom content. Basically, if you need photos taken... The idea that I had actually, Chad, here's the better uh, way to explain it. Chad and I were kicking around this idea that maybe what I want is uh, photos of the offices of the top 100 startups in America. Well, I can't fly around there. I can't take a photographer and fly to every one of those places. I go to Snapwire.co and they'll set me up with a team of people who will take those photos. I get it up on my site and suddenly I've got photos that that look great for That's my right. site. Right? You manage everything. Right. Yeah,
1: Snapwire does you know, visual content at scale, where you have lots of lots of locations or lots of things to document, or we'll do custom content library story arcs, where we need to build a story around visual content either in stills or video. And um, the story starts way, way back
0: yeah, <laughs> to the, the very first business that you created was, a company called
1: Media Bakery. And that was out of the belly of Getty Images experience. When Getty Images, this is how old I am, when Getty Images decided to enter the online stock photo space, they bought a company called The Image Bank. And The Image Bank was a transparency business, believe it or not, that had yet to go online. And not too many businesses were online at at the time, but Getty knew that businesses would need to go online. And as a stock photography agency, you typically had to have a paper catalog to tell art buyers what it is that you actually had to offer. So the idea of getting rid of the paper catalog, which was expensive to produce and bringing that online at 72 DPI files was a novel idea. So it was actually one of the first industries to actually enter the online area even before Amazon. But as Getty Images bought this company, it sort of launched a career in visual content for me. where. It was clear that we were the redheaded stepchild of the visual content space not nobody really wants to use stock photography but at the end of the day you have to because you can't afford custom content and so maybe even as part of my story where i sort of resented the idea that i was a stock photo schlep if you will not there's anything wrong with that but i would literally be pulling slides as a kid to show art buyers what i thought was a good image of the snowboard this was this was
0: roughly what year
1: this was at the end of the 90s, so this is you know, right when the internet was launching, and this was probably 96, 70, around okay, that time. Okay, and
0: so most of them yeah. were, were offline buyers.
1: Yeah, I mean, the whole industry was offline because the internet didn't really get widely adopted until okay. the late 90s. And, you know, that, you know, we... we um, we took the business online it was in the footage division and and it was a good start to the visual content space and then somewhere along the journey you know i bounced and i jumped and i got into management and my wife and i started our own stock photo agency called media bakery in 2000 which is still in operation by the way but it it was the idea of offering an image archive to fifth avenue buyers you know art agencies essentially
0: and you know what does along, that mean an image archive to these buyers
1: you know a stock a stock photo archive is you know is a is an is a is a large repository of photo assets and video assets of which you can license the rights to use to support marketing collateral and initiatives so instead of flying to the Taj Mahal to go take a photo of it or video of it we'll have it in a library you can license the rights to use it commercially so that your brand or business can tell the story
0: How is that different that from image. stock photography?
1: That is stock photography that is the definition of stock
0: photography. Okay. And yeah, so and that, so so what did Media Bakery do that was different from, say, Get- Getty at the time?
1: You know, we just had different market reach at the time. It was sort of, um, and this is a little bit off topic as to what Snapwire does, but it's part of the story. You know, mm-hmm. it just it, it had a custom sort of a a boat a boutique a bespoke sort of uh, level of service we would sort of give, you know, a class high quality uh, white glove service to our buyers, and it, that mattered back then. Okay. But I'll tell you what, buying, one thing that
0: hmm? who was buying at the time creative directors uh, art buyers at a-
1: at a- at agencies of so, you know TBWA H-I-A, It was still uh, mostly
0: you know. offline magazine that type of customer
1: it was a lot of print back in the early okay. 2000s but then the shift happened right like i think the birth of the DSLR camera and the mirrorless camera afforded photographers to not have to go You know, digitize their transparencies, and people could start taking photos and automatically uploading them to places like Shutterstock. And Shutterstock, I think, led the way for a transition in the visual art. Before we get into that, I'm
0: I'm sorry, I'm I'm fascinated by this because what I remember happening though was as more businesses were going online, they did want stock photography. Stock photography was novel enough that if a website had it, it felt like they did their own production their own their own photo shoot right
1: yeah, yeah And so back the, then it the did, industry yeah.
0: exploded it went from a handful of b- businesses that needed stock photography to now every website was a potential customer did you feel that's that
1: that's right oh for sure it was the uh it was good timing for us to, to launch a stock photo agency back when the birth of the internet afforded businesses to tell you know, to have a presence online. And Uh yes, the most affordable solution to that was to license the rights to stock photos. However, back then, you may not know this, you know, you actually had to pay high dollars for an image. I mean, it was in the hundreds of dollars per image to license the rights for a royalty-free photo. Or if you wanted a rights-managed photo to control rights and making sure that nobody else had the rights to that photo, it was in the thousands and tens of thousands.
0: and what did you see when when you created Media Bakery? Was it that you saw that more online businesses would need stock photography or did you just see that there'd be more, more supply because of DSLRs?
1: It was it was due to knowing that um, more supply was coming through. The, the ability to enter and offer an agency was going to become easier. The, the threshold, the bar was going to be lower to enter the market as a it's a distributor because of the birth of the DSLR camera. Got it. It was the first wave of democratization of photography. You right? know, there were several waves of it, and certainly the cell phone mm-hmm. affords us to all become one today. But back then, the first wave was the you know the birth of the DSLR camera. So it was Bye. the
0: supply that was most interesting for you, but you also understood that demand was growing, was That's growing, right. and you created a place where you would get the supply, sell it, and then if I'm understanding right, Media Bakery only paid the photographers after they got paid, right? That's right,
1: yeah. you license mm-hmm. the, the brand licensed the photos or the agency licensed the photo and then 30, 45 days, 60 days later, the photographer would get paid.
0: Okay, so this is the business that, to me, this is, you did it, you nailed it. You were ahead of your freaking time, Chad. How I big did it
1: bone. get? It Before big. we get
0: to what, what, what happened next, how big did you get? It was
1: in the millions of dollars in top line revenue. I think we, you know, we were a small boutique agency, so it was a small team too. We didn't have a lot of, um, I would say, we didn't have a lot of uh, pressure to be a big agency. We it was, a, you know, living in Santa Barbara, it was more mm-hmm. of a lifestyle centered, driven sort of initiative. And uh, you know, I was very proud of what we done. More than a million
0: um, a month in profit, a year in profit. Would you say that?
1: Yeah, back in the height. Yeah, the high day. so you're doing yeah. good. So yeah. before
0: we get into the challenges give me a sense of like how good things were when you finally made it. You're a person who started out as an intern in the, in the movie industry, right? You just an intern, yes,
1: I, I did. Yeah. I, I started at New Line Cinema as a, as an assistant.
0: And so then <laughs> when you finally make it, give me a sense of what's one thing that Chad treats himself to, what does Chad get to benefit from all this hard work?
1: Oh, we bought ourselves house? a house at the height of the market. Oof, okay. <laughs> all right what did you like about the house what treat? was the
0: special thing that made it feel worth
1: <laughs> to, uh, to be able to buy a home in Santa Barbara California just, at any particular time in in life is a certainly a rarity and so we you know i think it was a you know as a kid dreaming of living in this city that i went to college and cuz i went to UCSB and i was from northern california a small little town called Lodi i'm sure you've driven through it on your way to snowboarding or skiing one day but it was, it was a, it was it was nice to arrive at this sort of milestone which i was very you know stoked to, okay. to, to have gotten to. All
0: right. Yeah. And I interrupted you earlier because I wanted to understand that, but you started, to tell us about Shutterstock. What was the change that Shutterstock brought to the market?
1: Shutterstock did something fundamentally different. They introduced a new pricing model to the stock photography agency uh, arena where you could go and for one fee have access to not just one photo, but thousands of photos in the early days and millions of photos as it went on through time. And that change, it was still licensed under a model called royalty free, but that change in price and access fundamentally changed the industry and everybody began racing to the bottom from there. And it was really John Oranger who saw the vision of providing uh, a a portal to lots of assets, but then, providing that same portal to other photographers, aspiring photographers, and professional photographers, those who actually could take images quickly and upload them quickly to his mm-hmm. website, were earned extraordinary amounts of income as as earners for producing photos and on, on a me, you know in a medium which they loved to practice. And, and in uh,
0: a... The way that he would pay them was how? What was was it per download? Because he it was, was using per, a pro rata
1: basis on per download based on formulas, and so somebody uh, might pay X dollars a month, and then if your images were part of a download pool that that person had access to, you'd get a pro rata uh, payment for that. But I'll tell you one thing that did happen was the birth of the DSLR camera, the birth of the mirrorless camera, which I think are two different distinct things that afforded this first level of democratization that afforded everybody to come onto these platforms, and we missed it at Media Bakery. We left that that opportunity on the table. We didn't focus on the suppliers, on the photographers. We ended up focusing on the people who could supply us images through business partnerships like Getty Images and back then Corbis and other. There were 192 image partners at Media Bakery that supply us photos because they Mm. are the ones that have direct relationships with photographers and we left that off the table. So that regret actually ended up into the rapid decline of the media bakery business and its revenue over the course of two decades. Because it, it, you
0: had to you had to buy from them. They were going to sell for a higher price than than the individual with the DSLR would. And why couldn't you started talking to our producer about this, you couldn't switch to that and go direct to the guy with or the woman with the DSLR because we just didn't have the
1: infinite technical infrastructure to tell you the truth we didn't invest in you know we bought a house <laughs> we didn't mm-hmm. invest into the engineering resource and building a team and having the technology to build a community and that's really where the snapwire story started you know like i that regret i think um manifested for quite a long time and it was only until 2012 when we saw the birth of the mobile phone and at the ds in the fo- the photo that the phone could capture, even though it was a very low res photo that was only as good as posting on social media for 600 pixels, we knew that that phone would actually increase in its power and produce ultimately the same sized photo that a mirrorless camera could produce. Mm. And that's when we knew that we had to get into this game and capture the attention the aspirations of the aspiring photographer who was going to start their journey on instagram but eventually fall in love with the medium of photography because back then in 2012 it was just filled with photographers there was no brands or commercials on that thing you know and they then uh would traverse into their own first digital cameras and Hmm. we wanted to be there right there right there when they started becoming uh hashtagging brands and that whole behavior we just saw that and just knew that if we could somehow Get in front of them to give them a chance to feel like a pro. That we'd have a pretty good chance of of having a a pretty good start to an ecosystem. All
0: right, John Oringer, by the way, became a billionaire. From what I understand, he was New York's first tech billionaire from Shutterstock.
1: Yeah, he, he did just fine. Yeah. Did
0: that hurt watching him do that?
1: <laughs> no, I was really proud of, of what he did. I, I, you know, even though it, by you know technically competitors, you know, and th- but just to see the growth and
0: see his the focus. possibility. Yeah. And still media bakery, it was still profitable. And you, it looks like made a sharp break. 2013 is the last year that it's on your LinkedIn profile, but 2012 is when Snapwire comes on. How, yeah. how hard was that to say, you know what, I'm actually going to step away from this thing.
1: Yeah, it was pretty calculative. Started. I mean, we were really dedicated to making a hard, I was really dedicated to making a hard break against the business that I founded to go chase this opportunity. and. Um, it was, you know, like every leap of faith. It was scary. You talk to friends about it. You can't, you know, hype, you know uh, imagine what the outcomes could look like. But um, literally, after drawing it out several times, the ecosystem that I was having in my head, I ended up meeting a, an investor named Alan Morgan, He was previously at Mayfield and and um, was a general manager at Idea Lab. And I literally pitched him this idea, and you know, I thought for sure it was not going to be received well, but he really took an interest into it and said, I think you actually have something here. And so that kind of began the possibilities of raising financing against an idea. And, and he helped to help me do that.
0: And once you raise money, they don't, the investors don't want you to hang on to this business. That's, that's right. Yeah. You do have to, year-to-year. you know,
1: and it's, you, know, you have a fiduciary responsibility <laughs> to make sure that you're hundred percent focused on the successful outcome.
0: So All Right. Let me tell you about my first sponsor. It's Outgrow. I told you before we got started that they're a they're uh, a quiz company. I don't know that that's the best way to put it. Let me tell you what Outgrow does by telling you what you could do with Outgrow. So imagine it's Snapwire, there are people like me who say, you know what? I wonder what it would cost to get photographers to take 50 photos in 50 states, you know, whatever it is. Well, I could come to your site and hit a button and get a quote. Don't. Isn't it a human being who would give me that quote?
1: Yeah, yeah. Right? Someone would give you a quote, yeah.
0: Now imagine you said, you know what? There's some people who just want instant answer just to get a rough idea. If you wanted to do that, you'd go to Outgrow, you create what I call the quiz, but it's it's I, I don't think that's the right phrase for it, where you ask people a set of questions and then you kick out a temporary quote, a thing, an estimate, and you say, This is what we think it's gonna be. If you mm. want something that's more accurate, our people will follow up with you. And the beauty of that is if someone's just kicking this idea around, not sure whether they even want to get into a conversation or not, just trying to figure out does it make sense for me to even think about. They would come to your site, they would use the Outgrow form, they would get an estimate and you would get their contact information so you could follow up with them and say, I see this is what you're interested in, would you like to get on a call, I think we can help you a little bit better, right?
1: Yeah, totally. Yep. I could see right. that lead gen. Yeah. And it but maybe has some AI or some algorithms associated with it based on rules that you set. They
0: make it really easy to do yeah. that, exactly. To set all yeah. that up, and then it becomes a tool that's on its own. It doesn't even have to be directly related to what it would cost to snap wire. It just might be what would it cost to hire photographers all over the country right. to do this? So people yeah. use it just to get an understanding of it and then it funnels traffic to you. We could even survive that's on its very own interesting, domain. Actually. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So if you want to try this, or maybe you're marketing people, how many marketing people right. now do you have at your company? We have five. Five. If one of the five people wants to try it, tell them to save money by going to outgrow.co slash mixergy. Everyone's on a dot co, not com. Outgrow slash mixergy, and they'll let you try it for free. See how effective it is and see if it is something you even like doing. Just play around with it, get the results, and decide if you want to continue from there. All right. I'm really grateful to Out- outgrow for sponsoring. All right, so now you've got this new idea. You got investors who are backing backing you, and the original new idea was more of a contest site. What was the what was the the model there?
1: Well, you know, from my background, having the ability to create um, an ecosystem for aspiring photographers, it, you know, having them, sh- everybody wanted to shoot for a specific brand, um, and I had the history and the experience of building out stock photo libraries. So it dawned on us that. If we built this comprehensive sort of social slash commercial site where people could upload photos to photo contests that were actually mapping to real stock photo needs they would actually have a real reason to submit a photo that was basically asked of them to go shoot and or have in their archive and that if selected we could rapidly grow a stock photo library and license That's the rights so to the- smart.
0: Yeah. So, so smart. So what you're saying is, look, anyone, uh, if you're discovering the people, for example, now during COVID, face masks are the thing. That's right. You know that your clients are going to need more photos with face masks. You say, hey, Show we've got a contest. Yeah. Show us your best face mask situation. Right. for, And do they they win a prize? Do they also get a percentage of the sale?
1: Yeah, there's a little bit Other of the, everything here. I mean, in, in the original Snapwire concept, and it's still alive today in, in what we're calling our community offering. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anybody in the world can sign up to be an aspiring Snapwire photographer. You can download our apps off of Android, in Android or iOS, and you can uh, create an account and submit photos to these photo contests. And you're going to start to traverse this points and leveling system. And if you submit a photo, um, you're sort of held in purgatory until we see that photo and say, oh, that's a good photo. And we'll nominate that photo. And of course the best nominated photos rise to the top of the feed. But as soon as your photo is nominated, you start to earn these points and those points, the more you earn, traverse you through these levels and there are five, but as you start to have successes and successes are defined by nominations and also photo sales in the photo archive, the library itself. and other activities such as likes and people commenting on your content, um, you start to traverse to these levels and ultimately, you get to this pro level of which if you arrive there, you can be invited to participate on a one-to-one assignment in our professional marketplace. This other platform that we have, uh-huh. of where brands and businesses want to work with, you know, Andrew and Andrew alone to go shoot content because they like his portfolio. Of work.
0: Until that point, I can understand why somebody would want to rise up. If you want to be a professional photographer, this is a clear path towards that get-paid professional status. Yep. Until then, if if your company sold their work. Did they make money from it, or were you able to profit from it?
1: Yeah, I mean, it would go into the stock photo library, and someone would find their photo. We'd automatically tag these photos with you know tags and keywords using artificial intelligence and other kind of whiz bang things. But once the photo sat in the archive, someone could find it, but via mm-hmm. keyword search. And if they came across the photo that matched their need, and they licensed your photo, you would earn a royalty and basically a prorata portion. Of that photo sale, and okay. in our model, it was fifty percent. So it's relatively a high payout by comparison to other companies. Um, just worth noting that okay. most companies pay, you know, less than ten percent on what the list price uh, is for a photo, and we would pay up to fifty percent.
0: Okay, so this made total sense. Now you've got uh, you've got a pipeline to get lots of creative work. You've got a way of engaging the community before they become good. It's like you find right. the rising stars. Exciting. Where did you get the photographers? How did you get them to come in and participate in this?
1: You know, funnily enough, people look for opportunities to sell their photos all the time. And so as an entrepreneur in the the marketing world, SEO and SEM, it was the intent... Was relatively low lying, so we were quick. We quickly built our community. I think a month one in 2012, we you know I think we got to somewhere to 20 or 30 thousand registered users who wanted to play the game, and it quickly grew to 250 thousand users by year, year 16, and by 17 or 18, we were damn near a million, and I think we're way over a million today. So okay, it's, it's, so, sorry. there's a lot of people who raised their hand and wanted to go do this.
0: <laughs> by the way, this is amazing. So again entrepreneur gets something that works another time. You're going to tell us about a pivot before we get into the pivot. Why is it that I can't go into the internet archive and see what the site used to look like? Did you change your name know. from Snapwire?
1: <laughs> yeah, we did. We were Snapwire.re and then the ah. Wayback Time Machine. If you go to Snapwire.re, go to the Wayback Time Machine, you'll see some early iterations of oh, the website. Oh, got
0: it. snap Yes. Uh, got uh-huh. it. Got it. This yeah. was like a thing that was popular at the time. Ah, yeah, now right. I'm seeing yeah, you all that? your changes. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yep. So, and So we, you know, if we um we decided to make a domain change for SEO purposes and other marketing initiatives um, when we re-platformed and we re-platformed last year. Before and we get into part the, the re yeah.
0: Why did you re-platform? You said wait, actually one more thing. Did you charge a monthly fee? Did you did you do the Shutterstock formula?
1: We do, we, um, because it's still alive and it's still there, you can go and license the rights to a single photo, or you can subscribe and license the rights to packs of photos, essentially. And so you could subscribe to get access to the stock photo library offering for sure. And one thing that we built in this early version of Snapwire was this like I said, a promise that you can work one-to-one once you got to the pro level. And you you kind of fake it until you make it. So early on, we didn't have that many pros. And so we never really worried about what this one-to-one relationship would look like because we had some time on our hands to figure that out as we got there. Well, it ended up early on, people levitated to that and said, oh, that sounds absolutely amazing. You mean I can actually put in a request for a custom stock photo? Well, sure, let's let you try doing that. And so we created the ability for the user community, the buyer user community to uh, put a request out for a stock photo in the form of a photo contest. Um, and funnily enough, we would have individuals say, hey, and I'm using this to be a little bit exaggerative, but I'd like to have an elephant balancing itself on a beach ball in Tahiti. And my budget is $10. <laughs> so you had this like misalignment of because the stock photo buyers is used to buying photos for dollars not thousands right. of dollars and it just we ended up having a really hard time getting the buyers to understand that when they ask for custom content that there's a production associated with that if it's not already existing and that's going to cost a higher price and so we tried all kinds of ui tricks in the form and but we really struggled i mean we really struggled to to launch this early version of custom content on a one off basis
0: okay and then you were starting to say that you had to replatform when did you realize that this wasn't going to be the model i think we
1: realized when this as i described it wasn't working with the one off photo basis but it was you know it was a happy accident one day when google called us and said look we see that you actually have a lot of photographers in a lot of different areas, and we want you to take pictures of exteriors of points of interest for us, for the carousel at these locations. And can you guys go do it? And of course, as a young scrappy team, we're like, we can do anything. Of course, yes, we can. And we ended up being forced to realize that the tool that we have, well, it uh, produces and it affords any brand or business to launch an infinite number of photo contests, but each are a photo contest, not really a production. For one specific photo. And I think the fundamental change was and is when a buyer wants to have a photo, a photo, it is centered around a specific workflow that is associated with one image on a website or one image in an email. It's when a buyer sort of looks to produce a set of photos that that is effectively a production. And so our model shifted from one-off asset to doing shoots. And what we call those shoots today are Creative briefs. So that's what was the initial um, impetus for, for replatforming. And we did that, you know, again, a couple of years later after that first ask from Google uh, just last year, because we realized that we wanted to build a more robust offering, a, re- a more robust tool set around this assembly line that exists today around content production.
0: In order to make that change, you couldn't just say, Google asked for this, there must be hundreds, if not millions of companies out there that want the same thing that Google does. It just was a unique thing. You had to figure out what was similar that other businesses would want. From what I understand, it was going through Alchemist Accelerator that helped you figure that out, right?
1: Yeah, the Alchemist Accelerator, I think, yeah, I think Google was the first like, hmm, maybe we you know, stock photography certainly is a business solution, but it's much more of like a prosumer business solution. It's not really an enterprise solution. Mm. And I think when Google knocked on the door, it made us realize that we're actually an enterprise solution, meaning there are lots of enterprises that actually have to tell their story at scale. And Google was just the first example to illustrate that. And by the way, this was in 2017. And guess what happened also in 2017. Brands and businesses realized that they had to have a relevancy on social media. So, what was four content pieces a month for a big brand like PepsiCo became 4,000 content pieces a month for them. And so, they either had to turn to their expensive $4.2 trillion advertising agency industry to go get that content produced at scale, or they had to go build those teams in house. And so, the trend line became lots of brands and businesses started to develop in-house creative teams to go literally scale and produce all these visual assets for social media because they had suddenly had to live in those channels.
0: They need to create that many images because they were on Instagram on Facebook etc and they wanted right. uh, I don't think this is a great example because Coke does something different on Instagram but say a company like Coke might want a beach photo of their bottle. Right. They might
1: but their product was in the image. Yes, right. right. It, was, it had to be authentic. It had to be in the image. It not it, photoshopped brand, in. Not photoshopped in. And that's a different, you know, social media taught us authenticity. And and when brands and businesses sort of needed to have be held into the same sort of standard, they needed to produce content differently. And so that's sort of what led to the rise of lots of visual assets for these people and affording us good timing to have our services and our platform being a tool set for them to go get that done.
0: So how did being in an accelerator help you discover that?
1: Yeah. You know, um, happy accidents happen. And I think when of the rounds of financing we were looking to, to accomplish, one of the investors suggested that we sort of relook at what we're doing and provide an opportunity to look at going into an accelerator and to be honest, I didn't think that was something that was a fit for me. I was in Santa Barbara, I had a family, there was no way I could go to San Francisco, Alchemist is located up, north, up in the Bay Area. And and I just can't tell you how grateful I am that I ended up, ended, ended up going into the Alchemist accelerator before all the disciplines that the accelerator taught us. It taught us enterprise sales cycles, how to build a customer advisory board, how to fundraise, but to specifically how to build a pipeline for, for VCs, how to pitch, how to build, create a pitch deck. And there's just this infinite amount of learning lessons and pattern recognitions from sales all the way to fundraising. And when you're a young company trying to go to market, I'd say Snapwire has been trying to go to market for a very long time You know, and, and finally did, was able to go to market. Um, you just need that a lift. You need that discipline and acumen
0: with uh, customer advisory board how are you able to do it with enterprise customers i mean the you know
1: the simplified version of that is to say hey mr at large brand you know we see that you're an expert in your field we'd love to have your advice and counsel on helping us grow and shape an offering that you would think that your division would would have benefit from and you know just that simple discipline of making sure that you have a customer advisory board of which you can lean on, but then also offer them a pool of, sh- you know, create a pool of shares for them to uh-huh. tap into gives them um, equity into just at least it just, it's a shaping, it's the, it shapes their mindset significantly. You're not suddenly selling them something. You're actually soliciting feedback for them to participate and build a solution just for them. And. They're vested with shares,
0: right? And how are their shares different from the investor shares who put up money?
1: They're not by, by structure; they're exactly the same. They, wow. Maybe they're treated as, um, you know, a non-stock option purchase agreement versus um, a stock option purchase agreement.
0: Okay. So, first customer after this new approach was who or what type of company?
1: Um, it was Google. And then Uber came to the table. And then I think we were in the alchemist when Uber actually came to us for a large scale project as well. And then it started to unfold to alcohol brands and, you know, it just sort of evolved from there. You know, we, at 2019, we landed a deal with booking.com and that was quite large. And these, these large scale location-based, you know, DoorDash then eventually came in 2019. We were the number one vendor to produce all the visual content for every menu for, you know, item in DoorDash's archives. And can you give me a sense of the, of
0: the types of photos companies like that are looking for? Maybe you could take one that you can talk about publicly?
1: <laughs> yeah. on Booking.com, we were hired to go do travel guides at, of a city. And the, the scope of work was to was to shoot exteriors and interiors of, of restaurants museums and other public places so that the booking.com app had visual content that was shot in the specific way that would drive conversion because stock photography doesn't drive as high as high as conversion as when you custom shoot it because you can match an aesthetic collectively against all the images in berlin we're going to look and feel the same and that is very different than sort of sourcing that from a stock archive where you have you know, maybe 300 different photographers shooting 300 different styles of images to help tell that story. It's a much more cohesive driving, much more conversion if you have a small set of photographers shooting off of one creative brief to make sure that the aesthetic is matched and right and tight. Does that make sense? It and does. that's sort of the magic of Snapwire.
0: So, Chad, how do you pull that out of a customer? How do you get the right information from a customer to be able to create an aesthetic that photographers all over the world who aren't coordinated, who aren't talking to each other, can recreate, can live
1: up to it all starts, it all starts with the brief. And that's when we replatformed, that's what we decided to do, is to make sure that there was this one centralized record of truth that had all stakeholders collaborate and articulate around their visual creative needs. And that is typically in any agency brand or creative department, a -hmm. creative brief. And once the creative brief is identified and other stakeholders approve that, then you can release that creative brief and use it as a training tool for the creator to go create that content. And so you can set the aesthetic, you can set the shot list. You can set so many things that are important to the brand in that creative brief, and that becomes the one document that drives the aesthetic. And we've done that now in our platform as a way, as a tool set, so that the assembly line associated with creating content is optimized, provides stakeholder approvals, and is
0: inefficient as well. I, um. I thought of you as a software company because so much of what I've seen is about how to coordinate. How much do you think of yourself as a software company versus a matchmaking company?
1: I see us as a tech enabled marketplace. That's kind of how I see ourselves. So, we're technology enabled through the tool sets that we built around the marketplace and making sure that these efficiencies exist for these brands and teams. And, um, but certainly, we're nobody without our creator marketplace and our creator community. And it's beyond matchmaking because While our software and our technology matches somebody to a specific need based on their skill sets and also what is being requested, um, we get involved. We ensure we curate and we make sure that our customer success managers are ensuring success as this need travels through the assembly line.
0: All right, I want to talk about my second sponsor, and I'd like to bring you into this because my second sponsor is a company called HostGator, which hosts websites. My site is hosted on on HostGator, Um, but it also could host. Uh, marketplaces, Chad, if you were thinking about a marketplace today, what, what ideas would you kick around for a marketplace? So maybe somebody who's listening to us might say, I'm going to run with that idea on HostGator. Uh, FinTech. What fintech marketplaces do you think need to exist? I think marketplaces
1: have enormous lift to the participants in the marketplace when you provide a payment solution. If you think about it, enterprises have procurement teams and suddenly you have to have approvals and contracts and you have to have each and every vendor. The marketplace is connecting two sides. You try to get out of the way, right? Well, if a marketplace can connect two sides and help facilitate payments... I think that you are building a uh, value Are saying marketplace.
0: any marketplace that connects and facilitate payments? And it's facilitates not enough to payments. just connect. It's the payment process that needs to happen easier. I
1: think it's just, it's it's juice. I mean, it's juice that can really provide a lot of value to the marketplace. And it's something that Snapfire, you know, invested in and, and does, that we facilitate the payments. It's important for us to control payments and to facilitate the payments both to the supply side and to the buy side.
0: You know what I think um, I'd love to see more people run with is a marketplace for- for teachers who are either going to do one-on-one teaching or are going to do pod-based teaching where, (laughs) right.
1: yeah, We have a teacher
0: for five kids. You need somebody to help find the right teacher coordinate. I would even suggest that one of the things that we've discovered is because so many people have gone to homeschooling now, they might be more open to doing digital nomadic families if they could find a right teacher.
1: Right. Totally. That's really clever.
0: That's so really make it easy for me to find a teacher in a different country, speaks English or whatever language we need, in addition to the local language. She just has to help facilitate the Zoom set, the Zoom sessions, and then on top of that, add extra. All right. Yeah, I really like that by the way. And you can you do that. Kids? And, Is that why you're identifying yeah, with this? Yeah. 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 Me too. And we all, as parents,
1: we want to teach them a depth, a depth of culture that you can't quite do today. And I, I really like that idea.
0: I wouldn't even suggest this. Yes, I would want this for for my kids so that we could become more, more free, more uh, location independent as a family. I'd even say sometimes as a family, when we go away on a trip like spring break, summer break... I don't want my kids with me all day and they don't want to be with me all day. I'd like to find a teacher who can say, here's what we're going to do today. Drop them off at the museum. I'm going to do museum day with your kids tomorrow. Drop them off at this other thing at this park. And we're going to do a park day. And maybe you get a couple of families together, but you bet. I want that vetted. I want that person really um, uh, to be vetted and to also be watched potentially, but there's something there. Give my kids an experience that is more than they would get in a classroom but not the same thing that I would want out of, out right. of travel.
1: I, do, right. I really think that's very strong. Yeah, I like that.
0: Listen it's to like, me people. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what?
1: It's kind of like care.com meets hey tutor meets um you know I like think there's another website that affords you to find travel guides like like um, when you're going to travel and Yeah, post, you know what
0: it is? Post. It's um There was a period when only the rich would have a black car driver and Uber, let's use the overused word, democratized it by making it available to more people. And then it went from black car to something even simpler. We now all have our private drivers. There was a period when only the rich had governesses. I feel like the governess, if you watch these old movies, you could see she taught the kids in some, uh, what was it? Harriet the Spy. love that movie. She taught Harriet by taking her through the neighborhood, right? Give everybody access to that. And I think we've got something. All right. I'll close out the ad by saying, listen to me, people. If you are, I always have to close it out by saying, listen to me, I guess. I'm from New York. Where are you from? California. You grew up in California. Uh, Lodi, you said, right? Lodi, California. (laughs) I always have to talk like a New Yorker. Listen to me, people. If you take that idea or any other idea and you want to run with it, go to hostgatorcom slash Mixergy. When you do, they're going to give you a low price, platforms that are just so easy to build on, but also easy to take to someone else. If you're not happy with them, that's how confident they are that you're going to like their hosting and you're going to love what they do for your business. And it's in a it's inexpensive if you use my URL. Limited time, go to HostGator.com slash Mixergy, and they're going to go even lower than they have before. Lock in that price right now so you can start creating your ideas. HostGator.com slash Mixergy. You're you're kind of entrepreneurial. I would have thought that you're a photographer. I've got photos of you where you look so freaking cool. I was a little intimidated to talk to you. Um, But were you an artist or an entrepreneur or a combination of both growing up?
1: I was a creative kid for sure but I was always sort of the entrepreneur. I mean, this is coming from a kid who he and his brother would do paper routes. We would stop off at her neighbor's house, pick her flowers and try to sell the flowers back to the same neighbors. So did that work? It it worked. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously clearly out of empathy. She was wise enough to know that we had just destroyed her garden, but, um, at the age, I guess we were cute. I don't know.
0: But that's chutzpah. That's a set <laughs> of, <laughs> yeah. right. It's, it's tough to get kids to even go and talk to an adult and buy, you know, go get the pizza from the pizzeria without having an adult go speak for you to, for you to say, I got these flowers you want to buy. Where did that come from? That, that guts, that confidence. You know, I think,
1: I, I think it's probably half genetic. My grandparents, my, mm. you know, we were, you know, so second generation immigrants. I think like they, they were. Sheep herders and grape growers, you know, they just had to make it their way, like from Italy, you know. It's just and my did dad. Did you grow he,
0: up you, around the house where your dad, your family would talk about um, the types of things that they did to get by, the things that they did to sell? Oh, for sure. You did. Yeah, yeah, What's one yeah, of the stories you remember?
1: Um, one of the stories I remember that my great grandmother lived in, a, in Stockton, California, which is just south of Lodi, in a hotel mm-hmm. of which the sheep would be herded in the hotel to keep the hotel warm, just like they do in the Basque country. And they had a restaurant upstairs and they would feed all the sheep herders and it was dirty and gross and grimy. And it was third world brought to Stockton, California in the early 1900s. You know, it was just the way that they knew how to make a living. They made that living there. So, mm-hmm. that's Basque,
0: is that where they're from? Basque. A part in Spain. Yeah, it's between France and Spain, yeah.
1: Mm. pyrenees
0: i um i dated someone from there she was just as hot-headed new yorker like as i am is that a cultural thing it seems like it. she was very proud of that being part of her culture
1: i guess yeah you certainly have some bigger to you for sure
0: what's the artist part of your background like how did that express itself
1: you know um it came it, it, honestly it started out by just saying you know I had traveled Europe, I'd gone to the Basque country, came back from there as a kid after college. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to go into the movie business. And so I held a boom opera. I was a boom operator for um, a guy named Roger Corman, on Roger Corman studios, which was like B roll movies, B movies down in Venice. And I kind of got bit by the production bug more than actually the visual art part of it. But that led me in an interest to go learn how to shoot films and make commercials. And I just really loved the medium of doing that. And, uh, Bought myself a 16 millimeter camera as a kid, and I would make commercials for jewelers around San Francisco, and it was just a blast. Wow. And, you know, I'd get my friends, and they'd be, and I had started what I didn't realize was doing guerrilla productions, like guerrilla-based productions, what I call guerrilla, just really affordable, scrappy productions. And it turns out that's exactly how and why our community is successful at producing this visual content today on Snapwire is that they're effectively these young aspiring creators who are just hungry to create and they'll do almost anything and everything to kind of get that job and get it done on and do it within a price point because it's mostly driven by passion that um, that really echoes I think by youth when i when i was doing it
0: so. I see them on YouTube. These these photographers will talk about, just like we entrepreneurs will talk about the first dollar we made and how we got the first mm-hmm. like real profession. They do videos talking about how they made the first dollar by selling stock photography or by yeah. finding this online gig. And I, I hate to say it, I get really excited and wound up in their story for some reason.
1: Right, yeah. Um, and that's kind of why we existed. You know, it's like why we, we, uh, why, we, why we were so successful on onboarding so many creators in the creator community side of things so quickly, I think, is that we were really aspirationally driven.
0: You raised money. We talked a little bit about it, but part of it was equity crowdfunding. What was that process like?
1: Was it was it? pretty hard. Um, <laughs> we, were, um, we were one of the very first companies under the JOBS Act to test the waters, believe it or not. It's a campaign thesis that is related to equity crowdfunding. And Early on, there were so many unknowns. We had, had been approached by um, Start Engine and WeFunder, but I think Seed Invest was the first company that came out to us and said, Hey, I think, I think you got a good community. You have the good chops to go and do this. And um, a lot of energy and effort um, was put into generating campaigns to our own community to have them invest. And you know what? There was a lot of interest. I mean, we raised like over $13 million of indicated interest for people who said, Yes, I want to invest in what you're doing. And I think the shortcoming of crowdfunding is, is that you really have to get it right when you're trying to determine what the price of the shares are going to be and to make sure that the audience that you're talking to can afford that. And I think we got it wrong in the very first crowdfunding exercise we did, we offered it, um, our shares at $600 a share, I think, or $600 investment um, to aspiring photographers who can barely you know, afford coffee uh,
0: so you're saying you should <laughs> have made lost that you of we should have the price
1: that point. threshold way way lower
0: so maybe and more shares lower price per share so that low, there's price, more participation price, yeah uh, and we did that on the okay. second
1: equity crowdfunding campaign that we did with we funder and it was much more successful
0: we funder you did $184,000. yeah and by contrast i think it was a hundred
1: something and change on on start engine but the uh, number of investors and you, you, know, you look at different metrics for for raising money um and by the way this was bridge money by definition right this wasn't the big money that we raised in our series a but you know this was money to kind of get us through our transition and our pivots and so uh, it was important uh it was important part of our life uh, when we did this
0: you know what though so i, I see uh start engine hundred sixty eight thousand dollars roughly um that's like what one angel investor would put into a business, yeah. right? Yeah, it was
1: a lot of it was a lot of work for yeah. very little proceeds. But I'm telling you, we didn't we couldn't go to the angel network, right? We had because? we had done that already. <laughs> so we well, we still were needing more runway to prove out our model and um, you know, necessity is the mother of invention and and for me, we were sort of seduced by the big opportunities of big financing, big, big financial raises and we we're obviously disappointed at the numbers that we ultimately yielded in proceeds, but I think the the uh, the dream of having it be a much more successful outcome was there. And you know, you go today, there are very few companies that raise large, large amounts. Most of them are in this hundred, hundred and sixty-five thousand dollars range. So that's the lesson on crowdfunding. Crowdfunding has raise. not
0: worked. I mean, not yeah. it hasn't hit its um, potential. What has is these like angel list funds where yeah, one, right. one person right? raises yeah. a big amount of money and then goes invest. It's weird that that's, that, that took off more than people banking in the single Yeah, I think it's just part of the about. journey.
1: You know, I think that they had to go through this crowdfunding thing to, to, uh, to see how the syndicates would actually unfold and how they would work and be successful. Uh, but you're right, yeah.
0: I wonder why. I, I would think that there'd be, more of an appetite for investors to say, I get this one business. I love this business. I'm going to bank on it, as opposed to I like this investor, I'm going to bank on him. And it's usually like 20%. Them.
1: I think when you're, you know, you're going to invest in crowdfunding because you're that passionate about the product or service for sure. And that's why I think if you look at crowdfunding portfolios, there's a lot of bars and liquors, and things like that that are tangible things because you you're it's like a supportive way of getting access to the product or service, right? But a company like Snapwire, you kind of want to lead, you know, <laughs> you just people that are investors or invested wanting to invest will find comfort in a lead investor. And I think that's uh, why these syndicates work.
0: All right. Can we can we talk about your co-founder in the business?
1: Yeah, I've got Ryan, Dwayne, or my original one.
0: There was one that's not there anymore, right?
1: Yeah. A uh, guy named Sky Gilbert joined me when we first started our journey early, early on. And um, and shortly after we kind of got going, you know, we we parted ways, and um, and it was a it was a tough it's, boy. You talk about things that kill startups. I mean, losing a co-founder, whew, that's right up there with them. Like it, the risk at well, dying was high there. I think just by morale alone, nobody wants to break up or not move on.
0: Yeah, Again, if that person's leaving, if that person's out yeah, for whatever reason, and all, what the rest yeah, of us don't know.
1: Right, totally. So at any rate. Um, that was a really hard time, and um, it provided a lot of doubt. But I was convicted on the idea, and convicted to make this thing work. And this is the insanity, the tenacity sort of comment again. You know, we stuck with it. And today, I, you know, I'm probably a little unusual, I've incorporated another new co-founder whom I absolutely adore, Ryan Dwayne. He's currently the co-founder and COO of the business. And together, he and I and another team member had entered into the Alchemist. So. We kind of got retrained and retooled all together in 2017 when we went to the program and um came out with this sort of new focus on the enterprise and have been building the business together ever since.
0: Your wife are are you in business together? I know you guys started together. We started at media bakery together. I'd met
1: her actually way back when I was a kid pulling transparencies at the image bank. <laughs> wow. Um yeah, we built that media bakery business together. She runs that media bakery business today. Um but yeah, we, we don't, she's not involved with the business in Snapwire's business.
0: And you're yeah. together still.
1: So no, we're still together.
0: That's impressive. For a second <laughs> yeah. there, I said, maybe I should have checked beforehand.
1: Right. Yeah. No, no. no we survived. Yeah, I, we survived. I, I did look She She's very supportive. I mean, if you can't, I mean, talk about entrepreneurs. I think Alan Morgan told me, I think, you know, there's a quote by Reed Hoffman. I think this is right. Which is like, you know, being asked to choose between like the marriage and the, the you know, the the startup. Don't ask. <laughs> just, like, <laughs> just don't ask me that question. It's just a really tough one, and so it's a challenge to be in a relationship and to build a business. And she's been nothing but supportive in so many ways that I just couldn't be here without her support. Isn't
0: it easier though to not be in the same company all day and be in the same house all day?
1: Yeah, yeah, that yeah. that is. I mean, that certainly, it was hard. But you know, we met in the workplace, and so I think we were a little bit of you know easy easier at, at it. We joked around that we had been married. When we were married at five years we'd been married for 50 by the amount of days and time that we had spent to spent together
0: i also feel like being married in uh santa barbara has got to be hard everyone's beautiful there <laughs> um all right this is this has got nothing to do with nothing but i took a look at sky's business i guess he's he's running hitch now it's part of remaker labs it's got this beautiful carafe which i guess it's like a water bottle carafe. anyway really nice design
1: yeah, he's an exceptionally talented designer, and um, I would say that the designs that he uh, made um, for, for Snapwire's uh, early mobile apps are still in place, I and mean, the community site are still in place, uh, his original vision. And the way I gotta he thought say, about the product was exceptionally talented.
0: And usually when I go through the internet archive and take a look at people's sites, there's like horror shows in the past, but right. we've overcome them. No, your stuff is so good. so it's timeless
1: yeah yeah
0: it's just great everything that i've seen going back in time for you chad is just i could see an aesthetic i can see a care for design i told you when you and i connected you had the right headset on you weren't just going to use whatever piece of garbage (laughs) might came with your computer you're good to go you care about this stuff and i appreciate that all right of course for for people who want to connect with your company right now snapwire.co is the place to go right
1: that's correct. Yeah. All
0: right. Are you guys big on Instagram? Should we send people there?
1: Yeah, we're uh, we're Instagram as well. Handle Snapwire, and um, you know, best way to connect with us is through you know the demo request site. Um, we're servicing brands and businesses all over the world to produce custom visual content, and be happy to introduce you guys to our solution. So.
0: All right, and I'm going to just follow you guys on Instagram right now. I just found it. And I want to thank two sponsors who made this interview happen. The first one, if you've got an idea for a website or you already have a website, get the right host for it. And that is HostGator. That's who hosts my company here at Mixergy. If you want them to host your site, get the best price available from them, and frankly, get tagged as a Mixergy supporter by going to hostgator.com mixergy and if you want to create a calculator, a quiz, anything like that, that will help you get you leads, but also be functional for your audience, go to outgrow.co slash Mixergy. That's outgrow.co slash Mixergy. Chad, thanks so much for being here. Thank
1: you, Andrew. Enjoyed it. Thanks okay. for letting me share my story. Thank
0: you for doing it.